Hello, real life family and friends. Uh, it's Pastor Tim, uh, fresh off my sabbatical, and uh, good to be back with you again. And today I'm excited about just challenging you and I to be uh, men and women of godly, courageous conviction. Conviction. Uh, today, August 14th, 2608 years ago, a lack of conviction brought one of the most devastating events in world history, at least in my opinion. It was 586 BC. I wonder if any of you history buffs already know what I'm talking about. 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar breached the walls of Jerusalem and destroyed the entire city, including the temple that was built by King Solomon and housed the very presence of Almighty God. It was a terrible, terrible time, terrible day in history, and that happened a long time ago, as I mentioned, over 2,600 years ago on this date, on August 14th. And for the third time in 19 years, a huge number of Jews were deported and exiled to a foreign land called Babylon. Now, how did this happen? Why did this happen? How could this devastation happen? It was God's people. It was God's house. You know, it was, it was, it was, uh, um, it was, how could God allow this to happen? And why would God allow this to happen to his house and his people? And the Bible answers this question uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. I'm going to read a few verses starting in verse 14. It says, Furthermore, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles of the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. Wow, that's how it happened. Israel disobeyed God and did not keep the covenant that they made with him. They embraced the foreign gods of the nations around them, and they stopped following their God. They stopped following God and his commands. They lacked conviction. They didn't have conviction of faith. They didn't stick with their commitment to follow God. They began a slow and gradual moral slide over hundreds of years away from following God's commands and began to embrace the fallen culture and the fallen gods of the nations around them. And I see the same thing happening in our culture today. 
From the 1960s until today, we have seen American culture on a slow moral decline, but it doesn't seem like it's that slow anymore. And we have been replacing God with ourselves. Um, the Judeo-Christian foundation morality uh, that this country was built on has been slowly pushed aside for humanism, secularism, and a different foundation where the person, the individual self, becomes God instead of God himself. Those are fancy words for just saying we've been pushing God off his throne and taking his place. And as we've done that, I can see the parallels you know, in some stories in history, especially in this story that we're going to be looking at on, on the destruction of Israel and Jerusalem and the temple and our, and, our, and our convictions of faith are directly related to this. We have seen the decay in our own country right before our eyes, haven't we? And I want to challenge you to be a godly man, a godly woman, a godly young person with godly, courageous Conviction. Conviction. I want to talk about conviction today. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And no other time in my lifetime has this been more true where we are living in an upside-down morality world. We've seen what used to be evil now being celebrated as good and what used to be good now being criticized as evil. And I'm talking specifically about our Christian faith and the words of God. What we believe uh, uh, about morality according to God's word is, be, is under attack and be called, is be calling, is, it's being called evil. And what is evil in the scriptures is being celebrated as good. And this is because of a lack of conviction in God's word in many people. So Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I read this, uh, you know, a few months ago in a, in a different message. And I just wanted to refer to it again real quick about our current culture. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, and lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And so these are some of the signs of the last days. And we are certainly seeing these signs all around us. This is what our culture looks like. In fact, if you would take a snapshot of our culture from, let's say, 60 years ago and compare it with our a snapshot of our culture today, you would say we are living in a foreign land, a foreign culture. This is not the same foundation that uh, many of our parents and, and grew up in. I know I was born uh, in the late 60s, and my whole lifetime I feel like it's been a moral slide away from God. And now we see it uh, prominently in all that we are engaged in. So many people of faith even have drifted from their faith and belief in God and His Word. We see believers, 
pastors, churches, and even denominations uh, surrendering their convictions about the truth of God's word and embracing a fallen culture around them. We're making up our own truths. We're rewording God's word or just flat out ignoring parts of it according to our own opinions or the cultural opinions or our evil desires. But the good news is (laughs) that there is still a remnant. There is always a remnant of God's people who are faithful, who are seeking. And I want to invite you to be a part of that remnant, the remnant of God's people who had the conviction that Jesus is Lord, that the word of God is true, and that you will, you will pledge your life uh, to, to putting God and keeping God as the sovereign king over your life, and that his word will, will dictate uh, your morality and my morality, and the truth will continue to set us free and bless us. And so that's what I want to talk about today, conviction. Um, the definition of conviction is a strong persuasion or belief. The state of being convinced or free from doubt. And so we all know about conviction. When you have true conviction, it doesn't um, have a sale price, right? When you really believe in something deeply, there's no compromise that you're willing to, to surrender on that conviction. And someone once said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, right? Another way to think about this is until you find what you're willing to die for, You haven't found what your real purpose for living is. And in Christ as believers, we have found the truth. We have found what is worth living for. And that is the gospel. That is Jesus. He has redeemed us. He saved us. He set us free. And we have eternity in him. We have a purpose in this world. And so our convictions of faith should be stronger than anybody else's convictions for anything else. When you have true conviction, like I said, it doesn't come with a sale price. People with conviction do not sell it for fame or power or pleasure or fear or anything else. True conviction is tied to a person's life, the inner core of who they are. It's it's on the inside, right? And people with conviction in history have lost jobs, they've lost money, they've lost fame, they've lost opportunities. And they've lost freedoms and even lost lives. This comes with the territory of having conviction. Because people who have different beliefs than you are not going to treat you well when you have convictions that are contrary to what they believe. History is filled with people of conviction, such as Mahatma Gandhi, uh, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King Jr. There's hundreds of examples of people with conviction and people who paid a great price for their convictions, and ultimately change the world. But our model is Jesus Christ, right? The Son of God, not only uh, who made the world, but who's come to save the world through His conviction of His purpose as the Son of God, who gave His life for you and for me, that we could be saved. In Jesus, I commend all of you to place your ultimate conviction. You have convictions that you may have, you can have convictions that are wrong, but how much more should we have conviction for the truth in Jesus, right? Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And his conviction that God sent him to give his life for you saved your life if you've placed your faith in him. 
Now, there's an interesting uh, verse that I want to uh, have you memorize and work on. It's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9. And it's God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the then king of Judah, Ahaz. And he says this to him. And I want you to memorize this. Isaiah 7, 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Let's do that again. Isaiah 7, 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. This is God speaking through Isaiah to the king of Judah, whose name was Ahaz. But he's speaking that to you, to me today. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Today, I want to challenge you to have courageous, godly conviction in Jesus and his word to stand on his word, to stand in faith, to believe in Jesus and to believe in his word, that his word is the absolute truth for all of us, for all morality, for all wisdom, for all eternity. Lots of people have wrong um, convictions. They've, they've, they're wrongly placed or wrongly based convictions. And uh, people die in their sins because of wrong convictions about God or the devil or life or sin or heaven or hell. But we have the truth before us and we can have the right convictions based on God's truth. I don't want you to be just a person of conviction. I want you to be a person of the right conviction, right? The eternal conviction of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Proverbs 19.2 says, zeal without knowledge is not good. It's not good just to have a conviction that's not based on truth. That hurts people. That hurts the people that believe it. We see that even today. There's great people, very passionate, with very strong convictions that are wrong and are causing all kinds of trouble and all kinds of pain and prom you know, uh, promoting more evil in the world because their convictions are wrong. Um, the, another translation, a different version of that, says willingness and stupidity don't go well together, right? Just because you're passionate about something, that's not necessarily a good thing. The Bible says it's only a good thing if you're right, right? If you have the right knowledge to go with it. To lose conviction in our faith is to place conviction in a false god like Israel did. I believe that God is saying in this memory verse, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you'll not stand at all. I believe that God is saying the only conviction that you need to have is the conviction of faith in God, is to trust in God. And, and the opposite of that would be, or not the opposite, but a different way of saying that would be any conviction, right, that's not based on God's word is going to be wrong and cause you harm no matter where you got it from. You may have gotten it from a parent or a coach, a friend, mentor, a culture, a book, but if it is not based on God's word, it is the wrong conviction. And God is saying, you need to have the conviction of faith. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And that reminds me of a, a parable that Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter 7. Remember the wise man and the foolish man who built their houses? And the wise man built his house on the rock, which is on God's word, on Jesus' word. And he put it into practice. And he stood strong. His house was exposed to the same storms that everybody else's was. But his stood strong. His life stayed strong because he built his life, his morality, 
his uh, viewpoints, right? His lifestyle, his convictions on the word of God, not the word around him from the other false gods surrounding us and the culture around us. So David, or Daniel, I'm sorry, Daniel is a great model of godly, courageous conviction in the scriptures. And there's a whole book entirely dedicated to Daniel. And so in the next several weeks, I'm going to look at the book of Daniel with you, and we're going to grow in our conviction, and we're going to uh, appreciate just the analogies that are already in the scriptures to build us up and to encourage us today to be men and women of godly conviction. <clears throat> Excuse me. So let's go through a little bit of history real quick before we dive into the first chapter in Daniel. So in 586 BC, as I started this message out, that was the day that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian Empire, uh, took over Jerusalem, breached the walls, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, burned everything to the ground, all the palaces, plundered all the riches. And it was the third time that he took people away. People that weren't killed, he deported to his country. Now, 19 years before 586 was the year 605 B.C. This was the first year that the Babylonian Empire came to Jerusalem and actually uh, attacked it and deported a wave of Jews. And they did this three times in 605 B.C., in 597 B.C., and then in 586 when the, the temple was destroyed. In this first wave of um, deportation and exiles was one of the wisest, best promising uh, young people in the nation, you know, or in the, in the city of Jerusalem, and his name is Daniel. He was exiled in 605 with a group of other young promising leaders. And he came into this foreign land, into a foreign country, and that journey that they took was probably three to four months to Babylon to be trained in the Babylonian ways and to eventually serve the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar himself. And Daniel's name means God is judge or God is my judge. And this really, I believe, is the basis for Daniel's strong convictions. He believes just his name itself is a testimony of his convictions and his faith. Of course, he was a Jew. He grew up, he studied the scriptures, he knew God, he was in relationship with God, but it wasn't religion to him, it was real. It was at the core of his identity, it was who he was, and he was not going to surrender uh, his core convictions that God was his judge. And as we talk about that, you know, there's a couple of things that I think are implied in that conviction. First of all, Daniel was pressured to fit into a new culture. And we are looking around today in our culture, and there's all kinds of pressure against some of our traditional views, biblical views, Christian views about sexuality, you know, about uh, men and women's roles, um, so many different political issues. And I, I, don't, I, I don't even really want to say they're political issues. They are political issues, but they're not just political issues. These are moral issues. These are moral issues. These are things that have not been challenged 
for decades, most of our, our life as a country, the, these moral issues that are now being turned upside down were never challenged in this way, in a political way, and now they are. And so these are moral issues that are turned political, but this isn't about politics. This isn't about opinions. This isn't about party lines. This is about the Word of God and what is true and what is moral. And so we are living in a culture that I would say is now tilted against God and anti-God in many ways. And there's pressures to conform. There's pressures to compromise. There's pressures to, uh, to cave under criticism or the weight you know, of the mob. And so Daniel is in this situation too. He's been plucked out of his country. He's, he's been brought into uh, an inner circle of young men who are being trained in the ways of the Babylonians to serve in this new empire under their culture, under their ways. And what is Daniel going to do? What does he show us? What is God teaching us in this? And we see that Daniel was a man of great conviction. So I want to read for you uh, Daniel chapter 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, by the way, I don't want to get into it, but their original names were Hebrew names, part honoring God and parts of God. And now their names are renamed in this new culture with new gods, foreign gods. Okay, So already they are being called something different. They're trying to be pressed into a different mold just by their names. It's interesting after this, you don't see... Uh, Belshazzar, which is Daniel's new name, mentioned uh, much in the rest of the book. He sticks with his name Daniel. <laughs> God is my judge. God is my judge. But when we think about the fiery furnace, which many of you know that story, we know those names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But those are their new names. But Daniel, Daniel's name, we know Daniel as Daniel. And so Daniel, it says in verse 8, says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. This is a key verse today. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He made a decision deep down inside that he was not going to comply. He was not going to be conformed. He was not going to compromise. He was going to stay true to who he knew he was and who God was, and he was going to stand his ground. 
He did something inside. It's called resolve. He had a resolve. He had a conviction. He says, I am not giving up this ground. This is who I am. No matter what happens, I'm going to remain true to who I know God is. I just think that's powerful. It says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord and King who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The King would then have my head because of you. So this official is saying, I'm under orders from the King that you do this. And if you don't do this, it's going to be my head, right? That, that, uh, that gets chopped off. Daniel then said to the guard from whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. So Daniel came up with a plan. He said, let's just see whose culture, whose way works better, God's way or your way. Let's just do a test. And if, and if uh, your way works better and you can see that it's not doing us good, well, then, then we'll change. But if God's way is better, let's just find out, right? Isn't that cool? And so they do that. And it says at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And God blessed these guys for their faithfulness, for their conviction to follow him and hold to his ways. And the blessing of God was upon them and they became more wise uh, quicker at learning uh, than anybody else from, from that entire elite set-apart group. And it says, At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, which is three years, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And so Daniel passed the first conviction test. He did not compromise in the small things. I believe our convictions are so important that we can't sell out we can't give in, even in the small things. And that's where one of the greatest temptations is, is to just begin to, to let the small things um, change and to give ground, thinking that we're somehow being more tolerant or uh, more understanding. But Daniel resisted that temptation to even give ground on the small things. And there's three things I just want to talk about real quick as I wrap this message up. Number one, because Daniel's name is God is my judge, and one of the major themes of Daniel, probably the most, uh, the, the strongest theme of Daniel, is that God 
is sovereign. That means God is over all. That he is the ultimate ruler over the entire world. And this is a theme in Daniel, even though he is in a foreign culture, <coughs> excuse me, and he's under a foreign king with foreign gods. The theme is God is still in control. Even though we might live in a, in a country right now where there's things that are not godly, there's leaders that are over us perhaps that are not godly, not doing the things that God would have them do, even though there's laws on the books that are not godly, even though we might live in a, in a world that's broken and fallen, the fact of the matter is God is still sovereign. God is still in control. God can do anything He wills to do. And so God is my judge inside of this, His identity, Daniel, His name, God is my judge. There's this awareness that God is the, the righteous judge of all the earth. He is sovereign over King Nebuchadnezzar, over this official, over anybody and everybody else. So ultimately, I am submitted to this sovereign God, the God who is my judge. He is the one that is all-powerful, and He is the one I need to listen to. And so, first of all, you know, God is sovereign. Whether you recognize it or not in your life, whether a president, you know, or a leader of nations or uh, anybody at any level of any leadership, whether that person recognizes God is sovereign or not, does not change the fact that God is sovereign. He is over all. He is over all. Daniel knew that, and he had that conviction. This powered his choices. This empowered his choices because he knew, ultimately, he's answerable to God more than anybody else here on the earth. The second part of this is that God's truth is supreme. If he is the creator, he's the sovereign God, then he is also the one who has decided what is true. And so it is his truth that reigns supreme. So whatever other people say, if it doesn't line up with God's truth, we choose God's truth because he is sovereign. He is the creator. He is the ruler. He is the judge. He has determined what absolute truth is. Truth is in God. God has created truth. Not my truth, his truth. Anything that I think is true that doesn't agree with God is not true because God owns truth. He owns the truth. And whether you accept it or not, God's truth is supreme. It is supreme. And the third statement I want to make is God is eternal. God is sovereign. God's truth is supreme. And God is eternal. He's outside of creation. Daniel had this conviction that God is eternal. He's sovereign. He's my judge. That means he's over all. He determines truth. And he is eternal. He, he's outside of the, the, the existence of my life. I was created by him. He wasn't created. He is the creator. He is eternal. That means I have to, I have to contend with him. He is the only one that's going to outlast all of this other stuff. I will stand before God, who is sovereign, who is judge, who is true, who knows the truth, who has set the truth, and who is eternal, and whose 
whose hand my life is in. And that's called the fear of God. Those three things together, I think, were, were, were the bedrock of Daniel's convictions. That's why he wasn't waved or tossed you know, by the pressures around him because there was a greater, stronger one that he understood to be sovereign, to be true, and to be eternal that he served. And so Daniel in, one, in chapter 1, verse 8, inside himself says, it says, resolved not to defile himself. He's like, I know who I am. I know who my God is. I know who my judge is. And I am serving him. I'm not serving this king. I'm not serving these false gods. Whatever happens to me, that's fine because I know who my judge is. He is sovereign. He, his truth is supreme. I will have faith in him, right? And he's eternal. Remember what God said in Isaiah 7? He said, if you do not stand firm in your faith, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. The choice was easy for Daniel in the sense of his convictions were solid. Once you know these things about God, you can handle the pressures of a, of a world that's going against it. So conviction does not compromise on the small things. If you do, if you begin to compromise on the small things, you enter the, the inevitable slippery slope that just begins to continue to, to deteriorate. And then the next thing, then the next thing, and the next thing, and seemingly insignificant matters turns into everything that is significant. Daniel's first test of conviction, the small things. Daniel stood strong against compromise. God protects Daniel, he gives him favor, and he blesses him with great success. As I close this talk today, again, I want to encourage you. We are under incredible pressure to comply, to compromise, to bend, to change to a fallen world, to fallen ideologies and philosophies, and to false gods in this, in this world. But we need to remain strong in our faith and our convictions that God is sovereign, God's truth is supreme, and He's eternal. And we all have to contend with God is our judge. And we need to do this personally, and we need to represent this globally to those around us. That God is true. He is supreme. His truth is supreme, and He reigns forever and ever. That's who we serve. So this is how Jesus put it, just to put it into perspective. In Luke chapter 12, He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear Him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him. And Jesus is not saying be afraid of God. He is saying you need to understand who God is. There is no one greater. There is no one wiser. There is no one else eternal. Your Father in heaven loves you. He's called you by name. He has a plan and a purpose, and His truth reigns supreme. And Jesus is saying, do not be swayed by rulers and kings and people on this earth, people with loud voices or big signs or loud megaphones or, or a bunch of people following them. He said, do not fear the people here. You fear God. You put all of your trust in God because He is above it all. 
and he will outlast it all, and his truth will reign supreme. His truth is eternal. And so from the words of Jesus, I want to challenge you in this series to, to study the book of Daniel with me. This next week, I want to ask you to read Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to look at the next conviction test that Daniel passes. And I want you to get strong in your faith, to stand strong in the Lord. And I want you to memorize uh, our verse of the week, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9. I want you to memorize that, that, that this week, meditate on it, think about it. And again, it says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Why? Because the Bible says what can be shaken will be shaken, so that what can't be shaken will remain. And everything that's not built on the rock, on God's truth, on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, everything not built on Him and His truths will be shaken until it crumbles and it will not remain. The only thing that will remain for eternity is God's truth. May God's truth dwell in you richly. May you build your life on the rock. May you be strong and encouraged today to be a man, a woman, a young person of godly conviction that you hold, hold strong to who you are, who, who God is in you. And may you shine in a world that's dark. May you bring life to a world that's dying, right? May you shine like Jesus calls us to shine. Uh, let me pray with you right now as we wrap this up, okay? God, today, I thank you for each one that's watching this message. Lord, I, I pray whatever pressures they're feeling today, that they'd find a stronger strength in you right now to stand strong on their convictions of who you are and your word that it's true for them. May we be a part of the remnant of your people, God, that are strong in you, that are standing strong on the rock, and that is standing strong in the midst of the storms around us. And today, Lord, I pray for anyone right now who needs you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. I thank you, Jesus, that you died for us to save us from our sin, to save us from ourselves, to set us free, and to bring us back to life for eternity in you. And so today, Lord, anyone who's watching, who knows that they need you, Jesus, they need you as Lord and Savior. Uh, Lord, I just pray with them right now. Just pray this prayer with me if that's your desire. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I believe in you. You died for me to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, that I might have eternity with you. And so today I turn my life over to you. Forgive me for running it on my own terms and my own ways. Today I acknowledge that you are my judge. You are sovereign. Your truth is supreme and you are eternal. And I entrust my life into your hands, Jesus. In Jesus name I pray and trust. Amen. Amen. Well, keep watching, keep learning. Read Daniel chapter 2 this week. Let God speak to you and strengthen you. And uh, let me just bless you as we go, okay? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace in His name. Amen. I love you. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.